Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another Friday edition of the Rutgers Scoutcast, a Rutgers football and athletics podcast on the Scout Network and now available on iTunes and Stitcher. Go ahead and search for Rutgers. We're the first thing that comes up, and we'd appreciate any subscriptions and reviews. But on with the show. I hope everyone had a good Independence Day weekend. I know I did. Nothing says the 4th of July like bad movies, professional wrestling, and trying to make a little money on the side. The 4th of July is always an interesting time in college athletics because it signals a bit of a timeout for sports teams. July is usually a very slow period in athletics, obviously. There's summer classes with athletes in session, but a lot of coaches in football are taking vacations, well-deserved. A lot of writers, including uh, this one that you hear right now, is hoping that he will take his vacation next week, but don't worry, it won't stop the content or the Rutgers Scoutcast from coming to fruition every week. It's a bit of a different format this week. Scout National Recruiting Analyst Brian Doan is out in Oregon for the Nike opening. For those that don't know, the opening is a football combine event that really welcomes in the best talent in the country all in one place. They get to you know, get their cool Nike swag. They get to work out and get some coaching from some pretty impressive and intelligent people in the community. And most importantly, they get to do interviews with scout regional analysts. So keep an eye on Brian Doan and keep an eye on Scarlet Report for everything out of the opening. There are a couple of Rutgers targets at the opening this year. It's always interesting for me to see how many Rutgers commits or targets are out there because it's a good sign of how the team is doing in recruiting that year. The more you hear Rutgers out in the opening, the more momentum you probably have in recruiting. And Rutgers has a couple of kids out there that are interested in the program, which is always a good sign, getting Rutgers in the headlines at a national event. We will uh, check in with Brian in a couple minutes with a live-to-tape report from the opening and a bit of a prospect spotlight on one of Rutgers' top remaining targets that's out in Oregon working out. One final note on the opening, I know that some people are probably going to be concerned or maybe feel a little bit insulted that there are no Rutgers commits at this event, but here's why. I look at the Rutgers list of commits and I see three guys that I think are good enough to at least compete for a spot at the opening, but none of them went to the opening regional in New Jersey where they could have earned a spot, and I think that's a good thing for Rutgers. Rutgers is recruiting kids that like to compete, but they don't necessarily care about the recruiting spotlight, the exposure, the headlines. They're playing football because they like football, and they're not worried about the rest of the nonsense and the noise. Now, the people I'm talking about, I'm talking about four-star offensive tackle Micah Clark out of St. John Vianney. He's the top prospect in New Jersey, and if he decided to go to this camp, he was a lock to go to the opening, but he's not about that stuff. He didn't go. The only camp he attended during the camp season were Rutgers camps, and while he was there, he did it to build relationships, not to compete and get headlines. The other two guys that I look at that I think are opening caliber, I look at Cedar Creek wide receiver Bo Melton, who's an impressive athlete. I think he's the kind of guy that if you matched him up next to other opening wide receivers like Tariq Black and Mark Webb out at the regional, I think he would have... Held his own very well, but 
Bo Melton said pretty much all along, you want to come see me play, come to Cedar Creek. I'm not worried about the headlines. Rounding out that group is Calvert Hall linebacker, four-star Tyshawn Fogg. Fogg was originally scheduled to compete at the opening regional on that Sunday in New Jersey, but he decided against it. He only has so much time in New Jersey every other week with his family, and that's where he decided to spend it. So when you look at Rutgers prospects that didn't make it to the opening, I wouldn't worry about it. It was their choice. Now, after we hear from Brian in a bit, we're shifting the focus this week to Rutgers basketball. The roster has essentially taken shape for Steve Peichel's first year, and we're going to talk about that, talk about the newcomers and how I see the rotation shaking out. I'd love to hear from you guys on your expectations for Rutgers basketball this year. Before we get into that, we will hear from our guest this week, author and Rutgers basketball superfan Dave White. If you're on Twitter, you know who Dave White is. For some reason, he loves Rutgers basketball way more than anyone else I've ever met. I think he loves Rutgers basketball more than half the guys that have played in that locker room. But I sat down with Dave. We met up on the Rutgers campus last week to talk about Rutgers basketball. He also blogs for On the Banks, and he's had some interesting historical pieces that we discuss. It's a fun fan perspective. If you know Dave, you know he likes to have a little fun. So we'll hear from that in the body of the show as well. But before we get to basketball, I want to get to our guest, Scout National Recruiting Analyst, Brian Doan. So now, Brian, live to tape from Oregon, from the opening. Welcome to the show. Ah, the power of the internet. Speaking now to Scout National Recruiting Analyst, Brian Doan, who's all the way out in Oregon for the opening right now. Brian, I know how excited you are to spend the week with a bunch of 16-year-olds instead of your family? Well, some of them are 17 and some of them are 18, and I wouldn't be surprised if by the time it ends, some could be 19. But, uh, you know, you got to travel across the country, sitting out in 70-degree weather, watching some of the top prospects in the country who will be in the NFL in a few years. Uh, that's not, you know, I'm not going to run to the for workers' comp anytime soon. You know, it's, it's a lot of other people would love to do this, and it's a great gig. Plus, we get to see great guys like, you know, John Garcia and Danny Parker from our Tennessee site. You know, it's just a lot of fun to see guys that you don't get to see all the time. But yeah, and it's got to be a nice change of pace from having to see me, you know, every week. Well, Sam, if I could trade you in for anybody else and not have to see you for a long time, well, let's just say it's like Rutgers fans if they had a chance to trade in Kyle Flood and get Chris Ash, they wouldn't really need to see Kyle anymore. Well, Brian, while we have you, you've given us a couple minutes here. You're incredibly busy this week out at the opening. There's two Rutgers prospects, really, guys that are on the Rutgers radar and serious about Rutgers out there, and that's cornerback Harrison Hand and athlete Marquise Bell, both from South Jersey. What are you expecting from these guys as far as competitors? You know, it's funny, um, and I'm glad you say those two because I know a lot of people are thinking Mark Webb, and I spoke with Mark on Thursday, and he didn't even bring up Rutgers. So I think anybody that's harboring the chance of getting Mark Webb, you can kind of put that to bed, which I think we've talked about. But, you know, first of all, when you're talking about Marquise Bell, I was texting with him on Thursday saying, hey, what are you coming out here to play? Safety, corner, linebacker, receiver? He said he wasn't sure, which if you know anything about Marquise, it's exactly what you expect him to say because this is a kid in recruiting. He really doesn't care where he plays in college. 
it really doesn't matter. It's about the fit for him and where he's comfortable and where his grandma thinks is a great fit for him. Expecting him to be a little bit shell-shocked when he gets out to the level of competition because when you're dealing with some of these elite prospects and you're used to playing at Bridgeton High in South Jersey, and we mean South Jersey, um, it's going to be a bit of a culture shock for him. Uh, it'll be nice to have Harrison Hand, you know, the kid out of Cherry Hill, cornerback who Rutgers is on heavily and, you know, Rutgers is at school recruiting him the hardest. I'm curious what happens with Hand, though, because he got his invite to the opening. I thought his recruitment would blow up. Instead, it trickled in with a few offers, the most notable Virginia Tech, who's on him pretty hard. But if he has a good show, and don't forget, a lot of this stuff is on TV, and Sam, if I know you, even if it is 95 degrees out, You'll be TiVoing this thing and playing back play after play to watch these guys compete and break them down. And so will a lot of other schools. And so if Hand has a good week here, he can really pick up a ton of offers. If not, I think it's, you know, Ohio State hasn't offered yet, so it's either Rutgers or Virginia Tech right now. Yeah, I think TiVo is the key word for me because if this is going against the Matt Hardy deletion or anything wrestling, you know where my loyalties lie. My thoughts on Harrison Hand, I think that his recruitment goes either skyrockets or or plummets out at the opening. Either those schools that we've talked about are the ones that he has and he has to make a decision between those, or schools say, okay, his regional performance wasn't a fluke. He's the real deal. Let's go get him. He's a 4-4 kid with a good frame at corner. So I think that the opening for him is going to be a decisive one. You know what, you you hit it dead on because it's either going to be, okay, a ton of offers and I need to go make official visits or this is what it's going to be, Rutgers or Virginia Tech, you know, maybe BC. Like I said, I don't see Ohio State offering them just because their class is already so packed and they had their chances to offer them. The kid camped for them at the satellite camp. If he has a big performance in a couple days after a week of the opening, let's see how many offers he picks up. If not, that will really give an indication of, of where he's going. And I'll get a chance to talk to him on Friday, so I'm excited about that. Brian, last question before we let you get off and work for another 12 hours today. Yes, I did get uh, my USA soccer jersey. Was that your question? Congratulations. Hopefully you're you. still recovering. Hopefully you're doing okay from the big Sam Lloyd trade today. Um, that's Red Bulls, which is something different. But uh, as you know, our good friend Jason Baum, former Rutgers PR director, now the PR director with Red Bulls. I'm a little disappointed in Jason and him not giving me a heads up that they're trading a player that I really like. And I know RU Man 79 liked Lloyd Sam as well. Well, wrapping this up, uh, Tommy DeVito Don Bosco is at the opening. Syracuse commit who, no, Syracuse did not beat Rutgers for him, uh, despite what some people at Syracuse might think. Uh, he's there. Jonathan Lewis, the Rutgers commit, is not. I think that that's totally meaningless. It doesn't matter one way or another. What do you think? Yeah, it's meaningless. I mean, I, I saw DeVito throw on Thursday. He looks good. Um, he's gotten progressively better as I've seen him. But Jonathan Lewis isn't – I mean, it, it, they're two different running backs. It, it, it's like saying Desmond Peoples is the same as Robert Mark. It's just not the same. I mean – DeVito is more of a pocket guy, get rid of the ball quick. In Dino Baber's offense, he should be able to flourish just as he can make quick decisions and his accuracy is there. What Rutgers wants out of Jonathan Lewis is a big 225-pound guy who can run between the tackles, run read option, throw the ball down the field, 
And I've had a couple people tell me, when you look at Jonathan Lewis, and I'm not saying he's this good, so people, you know, let's have some perspective on this. But Jonathan Lewis is like Carl Jones. He may not be the most accurate. He's got good arm strength. He can throw the ball down the field 30 yards, but he's so darn big and physical that he's going to be tough to bring down. You can't compare Tommy DeVito to Alan Walters to Arthur Sikowski to Jonathan Lewis. They're all different kinds of quarterbacks, and I think that's what people really want to do is say, well, how would Jonathan Lewis do? Well, Lewis isn't built to perform in this. He still needs to get control of his arm, and his accuracy still needs to get better. This isn't who he is, and that's okay. All right. Thanks, Brian. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Rutgers ScoutCast. We have a guest interview this week. Uh, most of you know him as someone that's just completely insane on Twitter. <laughs> uh, Dave White, author, teacher, Rutgers basketball super fan. What's up, Dave? Hey, how's it going? I'm, I'm the only one left, I think. <laughs> Me and uh, just a couple other guys. So Yeah, the rack is uh, slowly losing its diehards, but I, I get a feeling that with the progress, and I'd love to hear what you think on this, with the progress that they made on the off, in the offseason, at least building – some excitement, I think that you're going to see fans actually come back for once. Yeah, I think so. I think there's um, a little bit of a buzz. You know, finally, they're, they're putting out um, videos now on Twitter of, of, like, the coaching workouts and, you know, doing silly things like having Pykele deliver pizza and just, like, trying to build some sort of buzz. I got my, you know, phone calls about tickets already and that sort of thing, so... Maybe there's some optimism. Maybe people come check it out. I have a feeling that you're like maybe number two or three on the speed dial. <laughs> you know, it's Brian Kelly. Yep. And, and then it's it's the Breslauer family and Dave White uh, yeah. calling up for season tickets. Yeah, I think I got one of the first three calls. I <laughs> one of the reasons I wanted to have you on today was because I read your, I guess you and Danny Breslauer, uh, if people don't know him, he was a student at Rutgers when I was a student here and did a lot of media stuff. He worked for Our Vision when Our Vision was born. Uh, the two of you kind of teamed up for a story on the 2004 Rutgers basketball run, the, the Quincy Doobie days, that I thought was really interesting. How did that happen? What made you want to do that? Well, um, I, had, I write for OnTheBanks.com, which is the SB Nation site that covers Rutgers, and um, I think Danny contacted me in the middle of the, the big 15-game conference, or 16-game, whatever it was, conference losing streak, when there was nothing... Thanks for reminding me. I was yeah. those games. <laughs> me too. I know. Um, you paid to be there. I did. <laughs> and I left much earlier than you did. Yeah. Uh, so Danny contacted me on Twitter, I, maybe he emailed me, it doesn't really matter, but asking if I wanted to just, he and I worked together on an article where we kind of went over our memories of that, that last year, you know, the last time it was fun and that sort of thing. And I kind of said, yeah, but I was in the middle of working on a book and, and with work and stuff like that and the season. I said, why don't we wait till the off season when it's quieter? So we stayed in touch and uh, by the time April or May rolled around, Danny kind of had this idea to do like... In oral history, so I guess he talked to you know Brian Kelly and um, some other people. So it kind of went that way, and it kind of built from there because people were really excited to talk about you know like the good old days as opposed to you know just slagging on the team now. So it, it kind of built that way, and it was a lot of fun. I think it says a lot about Rutgers basketball that the good old days are a NIT run. A lot of tortured fans out there. I mean, a lot of people on our Star Report site love the team. They just haven't, haven't been given a reason to come out and support them. Maybe that changes now. I, I know that you're one of the few that still does come out. So I guess my question is why? Hope. 
Um, it's it's something I like to do. I, I like to to go. I mean, I remember two thousand three, two thousand four, and two thousand six when Doobie had his huge year, and and I just I guess it's hope. It's blind hope. But we were very close. If Eddie had um, come back, we were giving up the tickets because uh, we were at our wit, wit's end. I mean, when you're leaving four minutes into the second half, it was kind of <laughs> time to give it up. But as a as a writer on deadline, I appreciated it cause, because <laughs> because with four minutes left in the second half, your story's written already. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always great because then you work on your sidebar and you work on your multimedia stuff. You get your photos ready. But as a fan, it's it's torture. It's it's why are we here? I thought at least this last season with Eddie, they, there was effort. Mm-hmm. I mean, the talent wasn't there, but I thought that they didn't quit. Other years, it seemed like they quit. But the talent was just so different, and the recruiting class that was coming in wasn't wasn't even close to being competitive enough to raise them up. So I think a lot of fans probably agreed with you in that maybe it's time to uh, check out or, or see if a new coach is coming in. Yeah, I think that's kind of where we ended up You know, talking with um, – Aaron Brightman, who runs the On the Bank site, we were very tentative about, like, calling for Eddie's head. Um, (laughs) And it got to a point that, that, what else can you say? What else can you write about? Another 40-point loss, you know? And it it just seemed like, even with the injuries, they weren't playing the way they should have been. And and you're right, the recruiting wasn't there to to kind of pick you up, especially once, was it Quay Parker that you committed? Yeah, 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 Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to your oral history, as you guys call it, uh, the most interesting thing to me, and again, you guys can find this. Uh, Dave will tell you exactly how to find it on the banks or on his Twitter or, or whatever. I didn't follow Rutgers basketball much at all in the 2002 to 2005, you know, early Gary Waters years because I'm just a kid from Virginia. Like, I, I think I went to a game. I might have gone to a game during Thanksgiving once just because I have family up here, but I didn't know what Rutgers basketball was. So I, I enjoyed reading it just for the perspective. And what stood out to me was – you talk about how impressive Quincy Doobie was, and he was playing hurt when he first got yeah. there. I, I mean, I knew he was hurt, but hearing him talk about his injuries and everyone else, I didn't realize how bad it was. And obviously there's a difference between playing hurt and playing injured, but it says a lot about him that you know, a lot of people thought he might be kind of a diva or just yeah. kind of in it for the spotlight, but guys like that don't play hurt. They don't play on a torn meniscus or, or with a hurt finger. Yeah, I, I think um, that was the biggest part for us. Danny actually talked to, to Quincy. And um, when I met Danny, I think the first two words out of his mouth were Quincy Doobie. <laughs> I understand. It was either that or Highland Park. Yeah. So Danny actually talked to, to Doobie and he texted me like immediately afterwards because none of us knew about the, the, the thigh bruise he had um, for the final game that, that the Villanova, I can't remember who it was, the Villanova player gave him, set in a screen, Jason Fraser set in a screen. And it was kind of backed up because we talked to. Um, uh, Waters assistant coach DeSempler after that and he backed it up that he was hurt and it was one of those things where we're like maybe we have something here like when we're putting the story together it's not just happy lucky like we're finding out stuff you know that I thought was really interesting like the Waters bringing in a therapist for the team his first year that sort of stuff I thought was what made the story go from just remember nostalgia to to beyond that the thing I remember uh, most just from hearing people talk about Gary Waters because again I wasn't here yet uh, I think that was when there was really a stronger connection between the fan base and the team, like yeah. whether it was his, his radio presence or getting people to come out. That was really the last time I thought that the average Rutgers fan cared about Rutgers basketball. Yeah, well, I mean, you have to remember the era. Greg Sheehan was still building the team. The team wasn't winning then. It wasn't in 2005. Don't stop. I was thinking about I knew you were going to drop that as I was driving down here. I hate that phrase. Um <laughs> 
but Chiano wasn't Greg Chiano yet. The football team wasn't the the big thing on campus. At least basketball, you'd go and they had a chance to, you know, beat somebody. Um, and Waters had that team rolling, and he had a radio show. He had there was all this outreach that it was it was harder to avoid the team, you know. Whereas once Fred Hill took over, that's when the radio show went away, and it coincided with football getting good and basketball got really bad. So I think. Waters was the last time it was really exciting. Mike Rice almost got there, but we know Mike Rice. But <laughs> yeah. uh, last thing on on basketball, you, you're—I get a feeling you're going to be there no matter what for this season. But for the casual fan, what do you think that Steve Peichel needs to show to get them in the rack for more than just the opener? I mean, free pizza and T-shirts helps, but I think it's going to take more than that this year. Yeah, I think um, I think to bring back Mike Rice, you're looking for something along the lines of. Um, Mike Rice year one, where it was an undermanned team, but they came in and they battled. Um, you know, three or four Big Ten wins, maybe upset somebody and and be in games. You don't want to be leaving, like I said, four minutes the first TV timeout of the second half. You know, they're gonna get they're gonna get their tails handed to them a lot. They don't have any depth, but you know, play hard and be in there and you know give the fans something to cheer about. And I think that's the sort of thing that kind of builds momentum. Um, amongst the fan base, and if they beat somebody and then the next week the, the place is, is packed, then who knows what happens. I think that's what you're kind of looking for. You're not expecting miracles, but, you know, fun. I always say I want a fun season, <laughs> which I haven't had in quite some time. I mean, that's why I love the NBA is because it's fun. It's not necessarily the best talent always winning or it's mm-hmm. not uh, the best coach team. It's just about having fun and the shenanigans and the uh, – I think that you're going to see some of that with guys like Corey Sanders growing up into yeah. more mature players that are going to be a little more well-rounded and better conditioned this year. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think that they're going to grind and foul hard and, you know, as long as they're healthy, um, score more points. And But I think you're going to see a lot better defense. Uh, Dave, you're, as I mentioned, you're not only a teacher but an author and you're uh, – your trademark character spends a lot of time in New Brunswick. Uh, tell me about your book series. I've obviously read them all, but tell people that haven't that may want to get interested in it. I mean, if they follow Rutgers, there's some Rutgers yeah. sort of stuff in there. Um, it's it's the Jackson Dunn series. He's a New Brunswick private eye. He goes back to college at Rutgers. So, um, you know, the stories take a place around here. He kind of gets his butt kicked all over New Brunswick. And um, Sounds familiar. <laughs> you know, it's 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 it starts off, the series starts off as typical P.I. noir, and I think what I've tried to do is grow it into more of a th- series of thrillers and, and a little more action-packed, and, um, you know, it's very Jersey-centric, but um, I think they're fast-paced and they're fun and they're, they're local, so a lot of people like that. If memory serves right, I think the first scene in the series involves a... Uh, a death outside of Old Queen's Tavern, is that right? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly right. In the book, it's Old Town Tavern, because I don't want to tick anybody off, but it's basically Old Queen's. There's a car accident where somebody gets hit by a car. And, uh, yeah, that's probably my most New Brunswick-set book. We're, we're different kinds of writers, <laughs> but I have a writer question for you. What's your what's your biggest writer pet peeve when you're reading what someone else does or editing something? What drives you nuts? Because I know, I know what drives me nuts. I'd like to hear that from you. Um, word repetition, like words in the same sentence or in the same paragraph, like it catches my ear all the time. Like not the or an or something like that, but you can tell when a writer finds a word they like and they use it over and over and over, and if it pops up too close to each other, it's almost like bad poetry. It, it, it really kind of takes me out of the story. Yeah, for me it's a little more nonfiction based, but when you can't spell a name right, whether it's a fan on a message board <laughs> or someone on Twitter or in an article that drives me nuts that's like rule number one in journalism but also uh the writer in me and 
the undergrad at Rutgers goes nuts whenever I hear passive voice. I can't stand uh, passive it. Voice, yeah. it's, especially in journalism, it's just a waste of space. Yeah, I, th I think passive voice gets me. And the, the name wrong thing, I, I understand that when it becomes repetitive and you realize the person just doesn't know what it is, that drives me nuts. Yeah. I mean, we can blame some of that on iPhone autocorrect, right. but, but eventually you got to learn how to spell someone's name. Uh, Dave, I close every interview with the same three questions. All right, and I'm ready. You spending time at Rutgers, I think you'll have good answers for this. Who's your favorite Rutgers athlete of all time? Oh, wow. Um, I think it's Jeff Billett hitting that shot. That was when I was here. I was a, a, a freshman when he made – he kind of sold me on Rutgers basketball making that shot to beat Georgetown in the Big Ten tournament. So i got to go Jeff Billett. Uh, I hope it's not the same answer, but your favorite Rutgers memory, whether it's as a student or as a fan or whatever. I have um, – it's the, the Florida game when uh, Mike Rice was here and, and Mike Rosario came back in that double overtime. Double overtime? I think it was double overtime game where it looked like things, everything was looking up for Rutgers and Miles Mack and Eli Carter were hitting shots from everywhere. It's the, my favorite game I've ever been to. Yeah, the same year. It was like uh, maybe a week after Kyrie Irving came back to hang out with Eli Carter and everyone's feeling it, and then it was kind of all downhill after that <laughs> Yes, game. yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much after that. Well, they beat UConn that year too. So. Yeah, it was a... Uh, I think that people would kill for that this year. Yeah, they had a nice run. Uh, and last question, if you get one more meal at Rutgers, uh, where would you eat and what would you order? Do you mean Rutgers or in New Brunswick? Let's say the Rutgers-New Brunswick area. Uh, I always go to, to Stuff Your Face, and I always get the Fireman Bully. So that's, that's, where, uh, that's where I would go. All right, there you have it. And uh, closing this out, Dave, where can people find you on Twitter, read your content, and buy your book? Um, my books are available at my website, which is DaveWhiteBooks.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dave underscore White, and uh, I write for OnTheBanks.com, which is where you can find the oral history. It's about three weeks ago, and uh, it's a three-part series, so take your time with it. Right. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Sam. Thanks again to Dave White for taking the time out to drive down to Rutgers and meet with me for that sit-down. I met Dave a couple times, real quick handshakes at the rack at basketball events, but that was the first time I ever sat down with him, and I don't think it's going to be the last. Continuing on the Rutgers basketball theme for this episode, we haven't really talked a lot of Rutgers hoops on this show since the Jerry Carino episode way back when Steve Peichel was hired. It was a bit of a big week for Rutgers basketball in that the roster is publicly taking shape and could be completed going into the first season for Steve Peichel. It starts, and here's where we start the news, with the announcement of the three newly enrolled players at Rutgers. Now, they're not that newly enrolled, but they're 100% cleared. Rutgers was ready to announce them, and they did so right after the 4th of July holidays. Rutgers announced Matt Bullock, Candido Saw, and Issa Thiam as enrolled at Rutgers. They're working out with the team, they're in summer classes, and they represent the first wave of Steve Peichel recruits and sort of a changing of the guard for Rutgers basketball. We've talked about all of these guys on the show before, but starting in chronological order, Issa Thiam, the uh, man of many high schools, had originally committed to Eddie Jordan he was very close with assistant Greg Patrone, who stayed on staff as an advisor for Steve Peichel. Theom's a good get for Rutgers. He was someone that reopened his recruitment, uh, kind of a soft verbal after Steve Peichel took over, but they were able to lock him up. 
sign him and get him on campus. It's always a bit of an adventure with some of the international players like that. So it's good to see him enrolled and getting everything under his belt. He officially checks in at 6'9", 190 pounds. He's originally from Dakar, Senegal, which, as Rutgers basketball fans know, has been good to the program, the great Hamidi Njai, the last Rutgers basketball NBA draft pick, also from Dakar, Senegal. Since then, however, Theom's transferred around the globe to play basketball. He played at the Canaries Basketball Academy, where he also got to know guys like Shaq Dorson. He briefly transferred to an academy down the Jersey Shore and then transferred again to Arlington Country Day in Florida, which is a school where Corey Sanders played a little basketball during his time. During Theom's brief time playing in Jacksonville for Arlington Country Day, he was a 14-8 and eight player as a senior. That's kind of what Rutgers needs in its threes and fours right now is length, rebounders, and most importantly scoring with a little bit of a perimeter game. He joins fellow Dakar Senegal native Ibrahima Jallo in the Rutgers post this season. Moving on next to the first verbal commitment to Steve Peichel, and that's Matt Bullock of Roselle Catholic. Bullock's a different kind of cat, and I love that Rutgers decided to pick this kid up. A shorter, thicker guy that, you know what, if you're playing football, you'd say, man, this kid's a good tight end, defensive end. Rutgers lists him at six foot four and 240 pounds. Not your traditional basketball build, but this kid is a traditional basketball player. He's a competitive guy. He It was a good pickup for Rutgers because when Peichel came on board, he looked at who the top available players were in the state of New Jersey, and he went ahead and grabbed him. Bullock is a sports U, Roselle Catholic. He's originally from Elizabeth. He's excited about staying home to play for Rutgers. When he eventually finds a position and finds a role, he's going to be able to have an impact for Rutgers. I don't know if it's going to be as kind of a an oversized, a big two guard, an undersized four. I'm not really sure how he's going to fit in yet, but I guess he gives you a good amount of versatility, which is kind of where it starts. He's the Union County Player of the Year in 15-16, and he was a double-double machine in high school. I don't know if that's going to translate at six foot four to the college level, but that's up to Rutgers to figure out. Rounding out the new scholarship additions for Rutgers is junior college forward Candido Sa. He became a priority target for Rutgers after Steve Peichel and the staff got a look at him and what he did at San Jaquito College in Pasadena, Texas. Sa, I think, was the best yet for Rutgers late in the process because of what he gives you. He can score, he can rebound, and he's got a good mid-range game for a guy that's going to be playing some power forward and center. Most importantly, he has college basketball experience coming from the junior college ranks. Rutgers needs more experience. If they're going to go with only 10 scholarship guys this year, they need them to at least be experienced and competitive. That's what Candido Saab brings. What I like about the way Steve Peichel handled his business is that he wasn't afraid to search far and wide to find guys that wanted to come play at Rutgers and that would fit his system. He didn't have to look far for Matt Bullock, pretty much just a you know one-hour drive up to go see him, but now he's going international, he's going junior college, bringing in one kid from Portugal and another kid from the Canaries via Senegal. That's what Rutgers basketball is going to have to do. 
it's not easy to recruit in-state right now when you're struggling as a program. So until things turn around, you find kids that want to play for you, and that's what Steve Peichel did. Rounding out the news for this week, how do these players fit together? Well, Rutgers has 10 kids on scholarship, and unless something crazy happens late, it looks like this is what Rutgers basketball has going into the season. Is that ideal? No. But what I do like is that this was the plan for Rutgers all along. Yeah, they missed on some targets. They missed on the NC State Martin Twins and a couple of other guys that they were hoping would transfer in. But those guys wouldn't have been available for this season anyway. This was by plan. And whether it's a good plan or not, we're going to find out. But, I mean, assistant coach Jay Young told me and told us right after they got into office look, we're not going to have a full scholarship roster this year. We're not going to waste space on kids that might not fit what we need. We're going to make sure that there's openings in 2017 and 18 to build this thing the right way. Look at when Eddie Jordan came in and the kinds of kids that he brought in and how long they lasted. That strategy didn't work. Look at guys that came in like Craig Brown and Devon Campbell. They transferred in, they didn't have much of an impact, and then they left. So now Rutgers is going to try something new. We're going to see if it works. But the advantage here is that if anything crazy happens, and this is college basketball, so I guarantee you something crazy is going to happen, Rutgers has space on its roster if it wants to add more players. The announcement of the new players also allowed the Rutgers communication staff to update the roster. You can check it out on scarletknights.com. The two biggest notable things, I guess, Shaq Dorson has grown an inch. He's officially a seven-footer, checking in at almost 300 pounds now, 287. Love that. Anytime you get a big man and he's able to grow a little more in college, it adds to his value, and I think the height for Rutgers is no longer the massive disadvantage that it was last year. You bring in two six-nine guys as newcomers, and you have a six-four guy that can play big in Matt Bullock. Rutgers actually has some pretty decent size, and we haven't been able to say that for a while. Also, uh, guard Nigel Johnson, he's my guy because he's a Northern Virginia guy. He's from Ashburn, which is about 15 minutes from where I grew up. He's going to wear number zero this year, and there's nothing more fun than a guard with the swagger to wear number zero on a season. I think that he and Corey Sanders are going to be a really fun backcourt for Rutgers this year. I bet you that they're going to cause a lot of frustration with some of the stuff they do, but they're also going to really kick up the excitement to a new level. They're going to be some of those Emerald Bam moments with these two guys as you're starting two guards. We're going to have to see where Rutgers goes from there to round out the starting five. I'm not really sure. I think it's obvious that Deshaun Freeman, if he's healthy coming off of the knee ligament problems last year, he's going to start. I don't know if he'll be a three or a four, but I would pencil him in probably as the starting power forward. At center, it's really a battle between all the newcomers plus Shaq Dorson and Ibrahim Ajalo. My early bet is on Shaq Dorson if that foot is doing okay. And then you have that fifth position. I think that that's going to be a matchup position for Rutgers. Mike Williams has a ton of starting experience, and as Eddie Jordan liked to tell you, every five minutes all season, Mike Williams was playing the four for them last year. So I think that if they need him in the three with a three-guard lineup, I think he can do that. But don't sleep on Jonathan Laurent, the sophomore, six foot six forward out of Dr. Phillips High School. He really exceeded expectations as a freshman. He answered the call when Rutgers' roster was a mess and when he had those concussion problems. You could tell that Rutgers missed him. So I think that 
Laurent can fill in that three or Williams. It really is a matchup thing. We'll see how Matt Bullock comes along. So those are my early expectations for the Rutgers basketball roster rotation. That's going to change a lot. Hopefully I'll be able to get out and see these guys in workouts soon. And obviously the start of camp really isn't that far away with things getting underway in the early fall. Otherwise, let's get on with the mailbag. And welcome to our weekly Rutgers mailbag segment. This is my favorite segment of the week because it lets us branch out a little bit and talk about what you guys want to talk about. As always, I highly recommend you get involved with your own questions. The best way to do that is to post on the Scarlet Report Premium Forums. You guys get first dibs because, well, I like you guys. Uh, Feel free to tweet me or email me your questions as well, and I make sure to read all of them, and I try and pick out the ones that are best for conversation. Uh, You can tweet me at Sam Hellman Scout, or you can email me shellman at scout.com if you're interested in checking out Scarlet Report for a free trial. You can also contact me there at those addresses. Now, on with the questions, and the on-topic question this week came from Are You Grad in ACC Land? He asked this question in our premium Q&A, and I want to talk a little bit more about it now without giving away too much premium information. He asked about the status, what is the status for Darius Hamilton and Kamoko Ture going into the season? Are these guys really going to be healthy and full go. Well, I got to lean towards no. Now, I think both are going to be able to play and have an impact this year. I know that Darius Hamilton is in the right place mentally and Kamoko Ture is just a freak physically. But from everything I've heard about the offseason so far, they're doing what they can, but it's not necessarily going great. With Darius Hamilton, I mean, this guy barely practiced in spring He didn't play last year except for when he was awkwardly forced into action against Penn State, which just was a disaster waiting to happen. Thankfully for Darius, nothing went wrong there, and they were able to medically redshirt him so he can come back. And you know what? He's probably going to be a three-time team captain, and I expect to see him in Chicago for Big Ten Media Day. He did a great job representing this team last year, and he'll do it again. But as far as Darius Hamilton's health, I've watched a couple of the defensive line workouts because they coincide with Rutgers camps. And yeah, Darius Hamilton's there, but he's not really that involved. He's doing a lot of what he did in spring, which is observational mental reps. And no, Darius Hamilton doesn't necessarily need all the practice and workout reps because he's done it. He's been at an elite level since he's 12 years old. But at the same time, if you're not working out, my expectations for you can only be so high when the pads go on in training camp and then at Washington to start the season. So you know what? I think Darius Hamilton can have a good year. I'm curious to see how he handles the extra weight. He's pushing 290 pounds. He played most of his career at 265, and I think he was 237 when he got there as a freshman. So do I think Darius Hamilton can have a good season? Yes. No, I don't expect him to be healthy. Kamoko Ture, on the other hand, is a bit of a different story without going into too much detail. He hasn't been 100% involved in all of the workouts during the offseason, but I do think that there's just so much talent there that they're going to find a way to use him. He's out of the sling. The shoulder is feeling better, which is important. He's trying to keep his weight up to become more of an every-down player, but that's also going to take a lot of coaching. Uh, G.A. Scott Vallone tried to take Kamoko Ture under his wing last year. 
but Scott Valone's moved on to be a Division three defensive coordinator, and Teray didn't have a huge impact last year because of his injuries. I think he's going to find a way onto the field for Rutgers, but I don't know how many reps are going to be available for him based on the time he's missed, the amount of development he still needs, and some pretty impressive defensive ends that they've brought in. I recommend that fans try to erase some of what they remember about Ture as a redshirt freshman with those seven and a half sacks and 87 blocked field goals. Look, he's really athletic, but at the same time, schools didn't know about him then, and they do now. They can game plan for him, and I think that's going to shut down the numbers that he puts up based on sheer athleticism. He's going to be a part of this rotation. He has NFL potential, and I think that the new Rutgers coaching staff can get him there, but don't put too many expectations on him too early. Let him work his way back in naturally into the rotation Rutgers has some other really talented defensive ends that are going to be able to put in work. Moving on to the off-topic question this week, we caused plenty of Shaq Jack controversy with our hot pizza takes last week. Neither of us, New Jersey residents, picked a New Jersey pizza place as our favorites. And shockingly, the question came in this time from Phil uh, via email. What about New Jersey? Well, what's your favorite pizza place in New Jersey? Well, if you're an avid listener to this podcast, and why wouldn't you be, subscribe on iTunes and go ahead and give us a rating. Uh, You know that I chose for my last meal PJ's Pizza on Easton Ave in New Brunswick, a Rutgers classic. Now, some of that is nostalgic feelings for the amount of times that I ate there, either walking to and from class or out at 4 o'clock in the morning at Rutgers, but that's definitely my favorite uh, great plain slice good value, and some fun fried things on the side. Some other New Jersey pizza places that I love, and I made it no secret when I decided to go to Rutgers that following the great food in New Jersey was a big part of why I was initially interested in Rutgers, and it helped seal my verbal commitment before my senior season at Oakton High School in Virginia. I know that uh, Federici's is the hot place down the shore, cash only, I like it. I don't fully get into the hype with it, but here's a place that I love, and I'm not sure if it's a restaurant or a catering company, and anyone that knows, please fill me in so that I can pack on 20 pounds eating there every day. At uh, Fiddler's Elbow Golf Course in Bedminster, New Jersey, I go there once a year for the charity golf tournament, and there is this brick oven, like, portable truck with just delicious uh, brick oven-style pizza that they park out by the restaurant, and they're just dishing out pizzas to everyone that participates in the charity event. That place is on the money, so if you're ever at the charity golf tournament, whatever uh, football coach is in charge of it at the time, highly recommend checking that out. And if it's a catering company or a restaurant, please contact Sam Hellman on Twitter, at Sam Hellman Scout, for your endorsements. Well, there you have it, folks. Another Rutgers scout cast in the books. Hopefully I didn't drive you too crazy with all my talking this week. Tried to keep it a little shorter after it sounded like the last one ran a little bit long for folks. Uh, Brian should be back next week. We'll probably get a little creative with how the next podcast goes because hopefully I'll be recording it while on my uh, brief three-day vacation for the year. So I'm excited about that. But again, thanks everyone for tuning in, especially if you made it this far. 
one more cheap plug. If you are listening to this in iTunes or Stitcher, please take a minute to hit that subscribe button and leave a review. It's the best way to support the show. And on top of that, it makes sure that this comes to you automatically. You don't have to go seek it out. It will come to you. If you're listening on scarletreport.com or streaming it, please go ahead and check us out on iTunes real quick anyway because the reviews help support the show. But that's enough of my cheap plugs. I'm Sam Hellman, Rutgers Scout Publisher. Thanks for listening.